Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Steelers lost their fifth game this past week and their third by less than eight points. The Steelers are clearly not a good team, but they're also not a terrible team. Is there anything worse than a good, bad team? That's our topic for today. I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. You're listening to The Cutting Room Floor. A good, bad team is a team that is clearly bad. And the Steelers are clearly a bad team. But they're not a bad team that's so bad that you don't have hope that the team as constructed could be better. Let's talk about that hope. The first step of that, all I have to do is, is say three words. I've got three words that I think really show that this team isn't bad enough that ownership, management, fans can't delude themselves into thinking it's a much better team than it really is. And those three words are T.J. Watt. Trent Jordan Watt. If T.J. Watt was healthy, we've seen it since he's come to this team, the Steelers win. When he's out, they don't. And with three losses... By a single score or less, it is very, very possible, if not probable, that with a healthy T.J. Watt the entire season so far, this is a 5-2 team. Maybe even 6-1. We all know how T.J. Watt plays against the Browns, and the Browns are one of the multi-score losses the Steelers have. That's one of them. But there's more factors here. Let's talk about the offense here. At quarterback, the most important position, you have the promise of a rookie. Rookie quarterback may not be good this year, but what about next year? We've seen this before. Ben Roethlisberger won a ton of games, but not because of him. Often, the Steelers won in spite of him. 
All I have to do, do is look at that playoff game against the New York Jets. And you'll see a team winning in spite of their quarterback. You have Peyton Manning, who set an NFL record for interceptions as a rookie. He's going to the Hall of Fame. Ben Roethlisberger himself threw a bunch of interceptions at the start of his rookie campaign, but the team overcame them and won. Kenny Pickett doesn't have the run game or even the defense that Ben Roethlisberger had those games, and he's losing. He's throwing a lot of interceptions. He's forcing balls. He's making college mistakes. He's making the mistakes someone who has played in college makes when they come to the NFL and have to adapt and have to learn different things. And one of the big ones is timing on downfield throws. Kenny Pickett is showing that struggling. He's making some bad reads. He's making some throws that maybe he gets away with in college, but he can in the NFL. He's not there yet. To go with that promise of a rookie, we have not bad offensive line play for the first time in a little while. Since Marquise Pouncey and David DeCastro got hurt, Alejandro Villanueva moved on. Ramon Foster retired. Since that group was together, we're seeing some of our best O-line play since that group fell apart. We have talent at wide receiver. We have Najee Harris at running back. You could look at this offense and with a few ifs say, no, man, this offense is good. Or at least look at it and say, man, look at the level of talent this team has. They should be scoring more points. Why aren't they? Well, part of it is that rookie quarterback making bad mistakes and not making big plays. Part of it is injuries to Najee Harris. He's not himself. There was a a great example of this in this last game. If you have access to Game Pass or a recording of the game, go back and look. It's less than a minute left in the third quarter. He runs outside for like 15, 16 yards for a first down. Watch him turn the corner. Watch him change direction and and run that arc and turn to going vertical. And tell me that that's an agile and explosive Najee Harris that we had the year before. Because it isn't. It's noticeably not easy for him to make that turn. And that's not through contact. That's not getting hit. That's not dodging people. That's just running and turning and changing directions. Not easy for him. Let's talk about the wide receivers. Deontay Johnson got paid this past season. Everyone lauded it as a discount. He didn't get paid like one of the top receivers, but like, you know, second or maybe even a third tier starting receiver. Not top-tier number one receiver money. Chase Claypool, all the talent in the world. And let's look at their numbers. My goodness, their numbers are not good. Combined 
Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool, they're number one and number two in targets on the Pittsburgh Steelers. They have a combined 5.4 yards per target. That's abysmal. It'd be good if it was a run game. It'd be really good for running back. That's abysmal for wide receivers. That's absolutely terrible. And not only did they lead in targets for the season, they led in this game. The two of those combined had 18 targets in this game. The next two receivers behind them, Pat Fryermuth and George Pickens, had 15 in this game. And those two are gaining on them. Pat Fryermuth and George Pickens combined now have more receiving yards than Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool combined. Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool combined have 111 targets for 603 yards and one touchdown. George Pickens and Pat Fryermuth now have 81 targets, 30 fewer targets, 648 yards and two touchdowns. Touchdown totals are just bad. But they now have more yards, still receiving fewer targets. George Pickens and Pat Fryermuth are the best receivers on this team. They're the most productive receivers. And it doesn't matter how talented you are if you're not producing. So when we look at this group, and we can say, man, Deontay Johnson, he, he could get open, he, he's quick, he's got that you know, change of direction. Chase Claypool has that size and agility. If only he could put it together. But they're not. Deontay Johnson is locked in long term on this team. They made a major commitment to him. And he's not efficient. Hasn't been at any point in his career. Hasn't been. He's had excuses. He still has excuses. He didn't get to have Ben Roethlisberger pre-arm injury. Then he had followed old Ben Roethlisberger with a with a you know with a diminished ability to throw and a bad offensive line and all that goes with that to Mitch Trubisky and now Kenny Pickett. There's there's excuses. There's all kinds of things you can say. For Deontay Johnson, but he's never been that high-end producer. You give him enough volume, he'll give you volume stats. But he's not efficient. Never has been. Chase Claypool had that one great season as a rookie. Second season, the touchdowns disappeared. Yards were still roughly the same. His touchdowns disappeared. This year... We're not even seeing the numbers. It's no longer Ben Roethlisberger. He's not doing the best. He had a good stretch there when when Mitch Trubisky came back in, but he's not overall, he hasn't done well with Kenny Pickett. George Pickens looks legit. But right now he's the number three. Is he a number one? Can he be a number one? Is he going to produce if he starts getting number one targets at the same rate, or is his numbers going to drop down? We don't know yet. It's my contention that Pat Fryermuth is the best weapon this offense has. He's their number one best offense, in my opinion. 
And he's a tight end. Unless you're like Travis Kelsey. You know, unless you have Travis Kelsey, you don't want your best weapon to be a tight end. It's just not the most productive, most volume-friendly position. They're more a versatile weapon than they are, you know, a volume weapon. Look at the running back. The hope for Najee Harris is he bounces back and he's that rookie form again. The reality is you've got a running back who's clearly not himself. Clearly not the guy he was as a rookie. I'm not even going to say himself anymore. There's questions as to whether he can ever be that guy again at this point. And part of the reason is he's taking wear and tear. He's running the ball. He's taking hits. He's fighting for yards. And and while he's doing it, he's putting up replacement level results. Running backs aren't limited by their age, but by their usage in the NFL, by the amount of wear they take, the amount of injuries they have. And to be racking up carries and tackles, wear and tear on Najee Harris right now, I think it's a bad idea. I think the Seals would be better off finding someone else. Stashing Najee Harris on injured reserve or somewhere. I don't I don't know where. I, I don't think running backs should be playing when they're hurt. If they're not highly productive, then don't play them. Find someone else who's healthy. They don't last long enough. You know? You're not sitting there saying a running back is having trouble because they're just too old to make get it done anymore. They they end before their their athletic prime ends, their careers end. Most of them, before their athletic prime does. The wide receivers, not one of them is a complete receiver. None of them are fully well rounded. Even George Pickens with his production, the man doesn't run routes well, right now. I mean, he's a rookie. He's not a great route runner at all. He just goes and makes plays on the ball. Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, none of them are well-rounded. They all have weaknesses and strengths and ways to attack them. We look at the offensive line. They look so much better than they did, but that's... That's like saying someone poured water on the dumpster fire. You know what I'm saying? Like I've made that analogy before. They're they're not great. They may never be a great offensive line, and they probably won't. They don't have that kind of level of talent. And the guys who look like they have that talent, guys like Kevin Dotson and Dan Moore Jr., they've got serious problems right now. They need to become solid, good starters and not just guys that look like they should be good, solid starters. We've got outside cases we haven't seen yet, like Calvin Austin III. Calvin Austin III 
has literally not shown anything in the NFL. He hasn't played yet. We don't know who he is. This offense, so many ifs, so many what, you know, if, if this works out right and if that works out right, so many hopes and dreams and possibilities in this offense. But as of now, none of them have been real. None of them have shown that they are, in fact, going to happen. And that's a problem. Because the Steelers' offensive coaching staff, management, owner, they can look at this offense and say, okay, yeah, if Pickens develops. Deontay Johnson, you know, rounds out his game a bit. If Chase Claypool starts playing to his size a little bit more, if Pratt Firemoose stays healthy and can be the kind of tight end that you really can run volume to, if Najee Harris gets back to his rookie form, if Dan Moore Jr. and Kevin Dotson become the guys that they look like they should be and Kenny Pickett develops into the quarterback that he shows flashes of being able to be, Wow, what an offense we'll have. That's a lot of ifs. We may have none of them. The odds that all of them turn out not high. Not very high. That's what we're talking about here. What do you do when you have a bad team, but they're not that bad? They're not clearly bad. You convince yourself, we add a piece here, we add a piece there, and some other things fix themselves, and bam, we're a good team. Maybe the problems run deeper than that. I know a lot of people are listening to me saying, you haven't talked about Matt Canada. What if the Steelers replace Matt Canada, and this team still has the same problems? We love to focus on one problem. People said, oh, everyone says it was Ben Roethlisberger's fault. No, Ben Roethlisberger was part of the problem. He was. He wasn't all of it. At all. We talked about that. I talked about that on this show. I've been accused of, you know, blaming everything on Ben Roethlisberger, but I talked about Deontay Johnson. I was against the Steelers extending him. He's never shown he can be anything. His best numbers come in his rookie season with Mason Rudolph. The offensive line needed massive investment and change. Given them time, they're looking much better. It looks like that was a pretty good move. But there's still a few pieces away. The way Kevin Dotson's playing, they need a left guard. I don't know if the Steelers will get a better tackle. They never seem to invest in tackles. That's not, doesn't seem to be a big deal to them. They played Alejandro Villanueva when he struggled and he got better. You know, that's kind of how they roll. Especially at tackle. This team has a lot of potential. But potential doesn't mean 
much at all until it's realized. And hopefully, the Steelers front office, the, the new GM and staff, are able to pick out which players to keep, which players to invest in, and which players to replace, and are able to do it well. I don't see a whole lot of hope for this offense this coming this inside this year. Maybe some hope that it'll be better after the bye week when rookies usually do a little better. They rework the offense a bit to their strengths a bit more. Who knows? Maybe something good will happen. But I don't expect much change. I don't think that's realistic. This is a team that's going to be who they are now, and we have to hope they can be better next year. But with that hope, the Steelers also need to be shrewd and replace some people who need to be replaced and realize who those people are. That's the first half of our show. We're going to take a little break here for a commercial. When we get back, we're going to do the same with the defense. We're going to talk about the problems, the strengths, the hopes. Because this defense has some similar problems the offense has. We'll talk about that in just a bit. Welcome back, Steeler fans. I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. You're listening to The Cutting Room Floor. The Cutting Room Floor is brought to you, as always, by the Behind the Steel Curtain family of podcasts and BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Make sure you're checking out all of our podcasts, wherever you listen to them, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. You can catch all of Behind the Steel Curtain's podcasts. Also, make sure you're clicking over to BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. We aim to be your one-stop shop for all things Pittsburgh Steelers, and I think we do a pretty good job of that. Click over to BehindTheSteelCurtain.com for all your news, analysis, film rooms, opinion pieces, whatever you want. It's gonna You're going to find something there for you. First half of the show, we talked about the offense. We're going to talk about the defense now. The theme of today's show is what's worse than a good, bad team. Now we're moving on to the defense. One of the problems this defense faces is it's good enough that the offensive problems overshadow the defensive problems. When we talked this first half of the show, we talked about the Steelers need to be able to sort through the hopes that are realistic and the hopes that are pipe dreams when it comes to players improving and becoming better so that they can be shrewd and know who to replace and who to invest in. With that, every investment you make in the offense, you're taking away resources that you could use on the defense. Simple case of anytime you spend money, there's something else you're not going to be spending money on. 
It's called opportunity cost, if you're familiar with economics at all. But whenever you have a choice of buying A or B and you buy A, well, the cost, the opportunity cost is you can't then also buy B. So when you invest a draft pick on offense, that's a draft pick you can't invest in defense with. So when we go through the defense, the defense is clearly better than the offense right now. Still are. One of the main reasons is someone I want to cover here, and a little apology I need to make, is Cameron Hayward. One of the mottos of this show since starting it has been, don't doubt Cameron Hayward. And as many times as I've said that, he has a poor game where he's playing hurt, maybe a game and a half or two. And I start to worry. I start thinking, oh man, is this it? This is where he doesn't recover. This is where we see Cameron Hayward finally decline. He's finally mortal. And we're going to see him drop off. And then he gets healthier. Comes out and reminds me why the number one motto of this show is to never doubt Cameron Hayward. So, apologies to the captain. Apologies to Cameron Hayward and to all of you. I will remind myself and hopefully not make that mistake again. Never doubt Cameron Hayward. One thing I want to talk about is a positive here. A positive note that I think is really important and stands out on film. Is the Steelers' other dynamic duo. I say that knowing well that since 2019, if I asked people who the Steelers' dynamic duo was, you'd most likely call out T.J. Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick. You may throw Cameron Hayward into there. That'd be fine, too. Uh, before Stefan Tuitt stopped playing football for the Steelers, I, I would have accepted Cameron Hayward and Stefan Tuitt as a dynamic duo, and you could make an argument that Hayward and Ogunjobi could fill that role now, and I wouldn't disagree with you, but that's not who we're talking about either. So maybe we're talking about their other, other dynamic duo. And that's a duo that showed up in 2019 and were a big part of the season, at season's defensive success, a big part of the early 2020 season of success, but we haven't seen them. They took about a two-year hiatus where they just weren't healthy and playing together, and that's Devin Bush and Terrell Edmonds. And the last two games, we've seen Devin Bush getting back to form and Terrell Edmonds playing. And look at the defense. Look at the points they're giving up. Look at the, the, what they're holding athletic opponents to. Terrell Edmonds and Devin Bush are a big part of why the Steelers had success limiting Tyreek Hill. You had two pass deflections, specifically, that I can think of. One is Tyreek Hill burns the cornerback on the outside. I think it was Cameron Sutton. Might have been Levi Wallace, but I think it was Cameron Sutton. Terrell Edmonds, as the safety, is in the box, picks up Tyreek Hill running deep, covers him, runs deep with him, and is step-for-step with him in the way of the pass, and the ball hits him. 
it's one that people mention as a dropped interception, but for goodness sakes, Terrell Edmonds was just doing a great job staying with Tyreek Hill, let alone intercepting that ball. Tyreek Hill is fast, <laughs> in case you didn't know. Another play, the Miami Dolphins brought out two wide receivers, two tight ends, and a running back. Put their two tight ends to the left side of the formation, two wide receivers to the right side of the formation. And those two wide receivers are Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill. Your options include putting both your cornerbacks on one side, both your, you know, your both your linebackers on the other side, and in that case, teams are gonna run outside on you. They are. They're gonna, they're just gonna run on you. Nobody Barely anybody defends it like that anymore. It's too easy to attack. You keep your cornerbacks on each side, and you end up with either a safety or a linebacker covering a wide receiver. Teams do it because they can get that matchup, and defensives do it because if you don't give that matchup, if you try to just match up player for player, you end up with unbalanced formations, and you get hurt in other ways. So the Steelers are sitting there. Jalen Waddle comes in motion from the side with the two tight ends over towards Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill is in a uh, closer alignment, but he's up on the line of scrimmage. He's the uh, he's covering the the tackle, right? He in that formation is your your X receiver, uh, and then Jalen Waddle comes running outside. They snap it while Jalen Waddle is running. And Waddle comes outside Tyreek Hill. So they, they start with some motion, some movement, some stuff to try and throw off the defense a bit. Steelers don't bite on that. Uh, Levi Wallace picks up Jalen Waddle. Devin Bush picks up Tyreek Hill. That's a mismatch. Tua Tungavailoa sees it, throws the ball on the route to Tyreek Hill. And it's broken up by Devin Bush. Because he's able to pick up a Tyreek Hill and run with him. He's able to do that. The Steelers have two matchup cancelers. One is Devin Bush. One is Terrell Edmonds. In 2019, they were fantastic at it. In 2020, early 2020, the Steelers really used them well in that role. I've talked about it before, but the Steelers the Steelers did a lot of heavy blitzing on that team before Devin Bush went down. Blitzed heavily to great success. Just sacking left and right. Interceptions. Just making an absolute nightmare for teams. The Steelers did something unique in those days. They went uh, their seven-man front against three wide receivers all the time. Uh and I loved it because I'd recently read, at that point, I'd recently read an article where uh, a defensive coordinator was talking about how defenses were too reactionary to offenses, where they always tried to match their personnel to the offense, and that allowed the offense to dictate what the defense did. And this guy was arguing, if you have a better sport, if you have a better set of players, use that set of players and find a way to make the offense adapt to you. Well, the Steelers would. With Devin Bush and Terrell Edmonds able to cancel a lot of mismatches, they would blitz 
Vince Williams. And they would have, you would have five, six, sometimes six players coming at your quarterback. If you don't have blockers in there and you're facing Javon Hargrave, Cameron Hayward, Stephon Tuitt, uh, TJ Watt, Bud Dupree, and Vince Williams, and you've got five blockers, your quarterback's toast. And they've got, and we, and the Steelers had five guys covering five guys, and we could do it. The defense today isn't as good as that defense, but those matchup cancelers are still a factor against guys like Tyreek Hill, against you know really good tight ends, against Mike Evans, against running backs coming out of the backfield, guys that make it hard for the defense to cover them because it's a unique athlete at a different position. Steelers have it covered. It is hard to overstate the value of having two players like that. And with Devin Bush rounding into form, the Steelers have it. One of their most valuable assets they have. The Steelers' big problem, big problem, uh, and really in my opinion their only real problem they have with the issue of knowing where their team is good and bad on defense is the cornerback position. There's a lot of things that help cover for those cornerbacks. One is Devin Bush and Terrell Edmonds as their matchup cancelers. Another is Terrell Edmonds as a, as a deep safety and also Minka Fitzpatrick as a deep safety and the pass rush. Pass rush isn't there right now, but they're still covering for a lot of things. One of the interesting things I noted in this game, Cameron Sutton, uh, early early in the, in the second half, there's a play where he and Terrell Edmonds tackle the running back. So it's a big gain, first down. I think it was like 16 yards. Could have been longer than that. It's a pass over the middle to the running back. Sutton and Edmonds tackle him. The next play, Sutton is out, and James Pierre is in an outside cornerback. And from then, you have almost an entire quarter before the Steelers give up another first down. And they only gave up two the entire rest of that half with James Pierre playing where Cameron Sutton had been. Now, I know James Pierre played earlier in the in, in the first... He played in the first half. There, he's been on defense quite a bit. But after that play, he took over for Cameron Sutton. And from what I could tell... As best as I could see with before all 22 film comes out, where it can be hard to judge, you know, numbers in some specific plays, it doesn't look like Cameron Sutton came back in. I don't know if he was hurt or if he was just struggling and was benched. I don't know. It wasn't addressed after the game. But after Pierre came in, the Seals were actually significantly better. And we all know James Pierre is not a great cornerback. He's not a well-rounded, put-him-on-an-island cornerback. He's not the best, and he was in there against Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, and they didn't have success against him. The Steelers have talent in Devin Bush, Terrell Edmonds, and Minka Fitzpatrick. 
to cover for deficiencies at the cornerback position. And they have a defensive coordinator in Terrell Austin who has made his career getting more from defensive backs who are not quite as good. So this is a team that can cover for those cornerbacks. But the question that I keep going back to with this defense is, do they need a high-end cornerback? And we're going to get back to the offense a bit with this. I, I'm, I'm firmly of the mind, and I'm not changing my mind, that the Steelers need to invest in the defensive line with a young stud talent who can play with Cameron Hayward and then learning from him while Cameron Hayward still has it. And eventually, someday, in 50, 60 years, when Cameron Hayward finally stops being an elite defensive lineman, he can take over. I still firmly believe that. But I also wonder, do the Steelers need a real number one corner? A real, or even... You know, just a much better number one corner than what they have right now. And this brings me to the problem of this Steelers team. And summing it all up is when we look at this team and we say, oh, they're they're not far off here. They're not far off there. And, and a lot of us get trapped in this where we're looking at, man, if TJ Watt was here, they could be five and two. Uh, if, if this breaks right and this breaks right, they could win the division. This team's still in it. We could be AFC North champions and make the playoffs that way. And yeah, you can squint at a few ifs, a little butt here and there, and all of a sudden, yeah, this Steelers team can look like a team that could win the AFC North. But are they a contender? Are they a real contender when they hit the playoffs? And I mean, we're even talking how many ifs have to go for this team to turn it around and make the playoffs, right? Or even take this team very much as it's currently constructed with a few draft picks added and be a playoff contender, be a playoff team next year. Just just sneak into the playoffs like they did the last couple of years with Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, we talk about T.J. Watt. When I said this team could be 6-1, and one. yeah, we've seen that from, this, from the Steelers. In 2020, they went 11-0. and 0. How good was that team? You can be an NFL team that can catch a really good team off guard every once in a while, beat up on teams that you should beat, win close games, clutch them out, and go to the playoffs and get smacked around when you face a real contender. This team is far away from being a real contender right now. They're not far away 
from being a team that could compete to make the playoffs. Not far away at all. The question is, which team do the Steelers want to be? That's the real question. Which team are they going to build for? I can't answer that. I'm not the GM of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm not in those meetings. I'm not in those rooms. I don't know how they view this team. But I know that we as fans often have big disagreements. And I think a lot of them are based on whether a person is, uh, whether that fan is looking at this team and saying, how far away from they are they from contending for the FC North, from contending to make the playoffs, versus how far away are they from being a real Super Bowl contender? And that difference right now is a big deal because the Steelers team, again, not far away. From being a team that could make a surprise push into the playoffs. Maybe get a favorable matchup and win a game. But they're not close to being a Super Bowl contender. And that's going to lead to an interesting offseason and some tough decisions for the Steelers to make. Thank you for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. I love coming on here and talking football talking to all of you about the Steelers, breaking down film and getting into this. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. And as always, let's go Steelers.